0: Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, build your faith. Enjoy the message. Okay, remember that the text for this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, you're going to, we're going to talk, look a little bit at Hebrews 11 uh, and uh, the same scripture I read last week. someone want to tell me what that scripture was? See, got you on that one, didn't I? Okay, Uh, in Hebrews 11, we're going to read a few verses from verse 32, uh, but really most of the story is going to be in Judges 4. Uh, So we started uh, last week's uh, sermon uh, reading Hebrews 11, uh, 32 to 34, and I'm going to read the same scripture simply because the person we're talking about this morning is in the same scripture. Uh, So uh, starting in verse 32, it says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised for them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Some, like Abraham and Hebrews 11, have a lot said about them. Some, like Abel, have just a couple of verses. And some, like Gideon, it's just his name. Uh, and the, the one that we're going to look at this morning uh, is Barak, just his name there in Hebrews 11. But, of course, we have these Old Testament stories uh, to tell us why the writer of Hebrews would want to have included these names. And, of course, the writer of Hebrews is saying there's far too many to mention Far too many people who we can read through those uh, those Bible stories and see what stepping out in faith really meant. Uh, but we're going to have a look at uh, at Barak this morning. Now, in our planning meeting, uh, way back when, when we're looking at this series, we're actually going to talk about Jephthah. Uh, and if you're interested in his story, you can find that in Judges 10, 11 and 12. Uh, and it's an interesting story, and certainly God used uh, Jephthah to bring a great victory over the Ammonites, um, and the story of somebody who was initially rejected and comes uh, back into being called a leader, um, and uh, uh, you know, a great story of, of faith, and yet what was missing uh, from the story was a specific word from the Lord, and what we're trying to unpack for this story is what happens when we receive a word from the Lord because really that's the start of our journey of faith. Faith is not just believing something in your mind and then stepping into it. Remember uh, way back when we had a sermon uh, where I talked about this idea of the objective genitive, a technical term for saying that faith has both the object and the source as the same. Faith comes from God to have faith in God. And this idea that we can just start to work faith in ourselves is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that faith comes from God, and so having a a deposit in our heart from God uh, is the key to the story. And while I'm not denying that uh, Jephthah was a man of faith, he made it into Hebrews 11 after all, uh, I'm saying it's not specific where we can see a word that he had to wrestle with, a word that came to him and said, this is what you should do. And so that's why we moved away uh, from Jephthah. Um, And uh, if you read that story, uh, some really interesting turn of events there. He has to sacrifice his daughter, his only child. Uh, He makes a promise uh, that seems a little unwise. Uh, He has this great victory, and on the way home, he makes a vow before the Lord that says, the first thing that comes to meet me out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. Gee, that's got to be a dangerous sort of thing. He's hoping it's the family dog. Sorry, Kathy. Um, uh, Kathy's thinking that sacrificing a firstborn child would actually be preferable. uh, But, sorry, Jackson. Okay. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, maybe it's a family cat. For any of those cat cat lovers out there, I have to apologize to you as well. Anyway, uh, it turns out that uh, his daughter comes to meet him first, and so he has to sacrifice his daughter to God. An interesting end to the story. But anyway, that's Jephthah. If you are really interested, go and look at uh, the story through Judges 10, 11, and 12. Uh, fascinating story. Uh, as we read through Judges, we find a string of unlikely heroes. Uh, so we've got people like Othniel, and you go, Oth, Oth who? Uh, Ahud, another fascinating story about uh, uh, what he did for God. Shamgar, right before we're the story we're going to read this morning, he managed to kill 600 Philistines with an ox goad. This is a cattle prod. It's like, yeah. That's an afternoon's work there, right there. Um, uh, Gideon, we talked about. Jephthah, the son of a prostitute. All these people who are just unlikely heroes. So if you're thinking, I'm too weird for God to use me, think again because God can surprise you. But then we get to the story of Barak, and he's a warrior and a leader. And so just when you think you've got God figured out, He does something uh, that will surprise you. So we're going to pick up the story in Judges chapter Uh, 4, right after that verse where we have Shamgar, son of Anath, uh, Anath, who was struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. But here we are are in Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and it says, uh, uh, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ahod was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, "'The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands.'" So that was the word of the Lord. It seems pretty simple, really. Uh, there's oftentimes we look back on these words, and it's like, I mean, how could you miss that? You know, but uh, Barak, pretty simple. Uh, take ten thousand men. You know, this is where you have to go. This is exactly what you have to do. Uh, pretty simple, really. Now, it doesn't specifically say that Barak was the commander of the Israelite armies, although you you get that impression because he's basically uh, being able to put out the call for 10,000 men and people will respond. So this is not a nobody from nowhere who's calling people like Gideon did, but rather this is a leader uh, who's got a specific word uh, from the Lord. Now, the situation, of course, is that we've got 20 years of oppression um, and, and the people cry out. To, you've got to ask yourself, the as you read through the book of Judges, it's like, you know, after 20 years or after 50 years or and why does it take so long? Why does it take so long? Uh, And perhaps you could have a look in your own life and say, how many times have you tried it in the natural first? And then when you've got to the end of that, you go, God, i got no more. Please help me. Now, of course, the encouragement would be if we go to God first... Uh, things will be a whole lot easier. Uh, history tells us that man learns nothing from history. Uh, and so when we, when we actually come to that place and go, uh, well, it's 20 years and we've been trying and we've been trying and we've been trying and nothing is working, and then they cry out to the Lord, save us, because this is not what you called us to. Now, we have the, the answer in verse 8. Barak says to Deborah, after this very specific word from the Lord, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go, I won't. You go, oh, gee. Uh, this response is a little different from Gideon's, because Gideon's uh, resp- uh, you know, question was, well, you were supposed to go and do this, and it's like, oh, are you really sure? Are you really sure that is the angel of the Lord? Well, that seems obvious. Is I, am I really sure it's a word from God? Uh, am I really sure that they're going to have the victory? There doesn't seem to be that idea of doubt hear from Barak. There's no uh, uh, indication in the text that he's going, I don't really believe what Deborah has said. Now, you've got to realize the times, uh, the the law uh, was that if you uh, named yourself as prophet and you said something wrong, that could be proved wrong, then you were stoned to death. Okay, so it's not like Deborah, as a judge in Israel, as a prophetess before the Lord, uh, she has the credibility. It's not like you're going to say, "Yeah, no, I've heard that sort of prophecy before." I'm going somewhere else. And so, Barak certainly seems to be confident in what he's hearing, uh, but his response is, "Well, if, if if you go with me, I'll go." Commentators have sort of mixed opinions about what Barak was saying here Uh, some people say well it was a lack of faith here was he had to step out into the word of the Lord and it was a lack of faith uh, and he said well I just need someone to hold my hand as you read through the rest of the story you sort of don't get that impression was it a, a sign of respect? Uh, other commentators will talk about the culture of the day and actually taking the prophet to war with you was a, was a thing that you did, uh, not only amongst the Israelites, but amongst other nations because they're, you know, it's almost like bringing your God along. And so maybe that was what was going on. or wasn't an ancient custom. There was an expectation. Uh, was it an insurance policy? You know, uh, yeah. if, if, if I'm going to step out for you, Lord, I need someone here who's closer to, the God, to God than I am. A bit of insurance policy, uh, someone who's more righteous than I am, and so they can step in uh, where I fail. So we may never know the truth of the motivation, but based on Barak's actions, I would say he was, wasn't a coward uh, trying to hide behind someone else. And interestingly enough, he makes it into Hebrews 11. So that's a good indication that he was walking by faith. And Deborah's response in verse 9, uh, very, uh, at least uh, the response that Barak wants to hear, uh, probably very welcome news for him. Uh, she says, very well, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And so we have this sort of set up in the story where, where Barrack's going off to war, Deborah's decided that she'll come along, but all of a sudden the honor of the victory won't go to Barrack. It doesn't seem, as we read Judges 5, which is Deborah and Barrack singing about their victory together, it doesn't seem that this worries Barrack too much. You would think that possibly that would be a bit of a barb, from Deborah to say, hey, you're not going to get credit for this. And, but Barrett doesn't seem to be overly phased by that in the story, uh, and certainly in the praise to God uh, that happens at the end. And sometimes uh, I think this is a really good lesson for us because when we step out in faith and we see the victory, remember, the victory is the Lord's. We don't want to be people who say, see, I stepped out in faith and I won the victory. We don't want to be those people. We want to be the people to say, see, I was obedient to step out in faith, and God bought the victory. That's, and, and you sort of get that impression as, as Deborah and Barak are both singing about their part has become a minor in the story because they want to give all of the glory to God. Now, it is interesting, of course, as we read through the story that Jael uh, gets credit for the victory over Sisera. Uh, was, uh, 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 Keelan was asking me this morning, what, "What scripture do I want to ring and uh, read before the service?" So I, get, I read uh, uh, in Judges four, where uh, Jael takes the tent bag and hammers it through the temple. And I thought that would be a really good start to the to the morning. You know, there's a scripture. And everyone's like, what is this guy talking about? Anyway, uh, we, didn't, we didn't go there, so that's all right. We'll, we'll get there at the end. Uh, now, the examples that we've shown to date have really been uh, individual journeys, but many times we can have the victory when we partner with someone else in our journey. Deborah brought the word of the Lord, uh, but she was also willing to stand with Barak in the journey. And in our own lives, there's times that we need to walk out the things that God is calling us to on our own, but we also realize that we are part of a body. We're part of something bigger, and so we shouldn't be, well, there's those steps we have to take on our own. No one can take that step for us. That doesn't mean we have to be alone in our journey of faith. You see, Deborah didn't pick up a sword and go and fight the Philistines, yeah. Deborah didn't stand beside Barak when he, when he, sorry, the Ammonites. When he, when he's chasing them, the Canaanites. I'll get it right yet. I'm thinking i mixing up too many stories here. The Canaanites. King Jabin of the Canaanites. Okay. All right. When Barak's chasing the Canaanites, Deborah's not there in a chariot or on foot with her sword or with spear chasing along. That's not what it was. Barak still had to lead the army into the victory that God had called him, and yet uh, Deborah was there to encourage him. Uh, to lend her support uh, to what he had been called to do. In Romans 1, uh, Paul is writing to the, to the church at Rome, and in verse, Romans 1.10, he says, One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, and we think about that and that's, that's all very Paul-like. He wants to come and bring something of the Spirit. He wants to come and encourage them in their faith. But that's not where the, uh, verse 12 ends. He says, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Paul wants to, to meet the, the, the church at Rome uh, so he could encourage them, but he also wanted to be encouraged in his own faith journey, and if you think about Paul stepping out in faith, and we see all through the book of Acts how, how the Spirit led him into what uh, what he was being called to, and yet so often we see he wants to partner with people, he wants to be encouraged by with people. He says, "I'm never too far ahead of you, uh, or all you others that I that I can't live this or do this journey on my own." Paul wanted to be encouraged by the church at Rome, and something that we need to do is understand that we don't need to walk this journey alone. Just as Barak had to step out in faith, but Deborah came alongside and says, yes, I will go with you. Uh, Trusting in God can sometimes feel like a a hard and lonely road, but it isn't meant to be walked alone. Seeing how others trust God also encourages us and challenges us. It reconfirms what we know to be true. It helps us to renew our uh, our commitment. And in Romans, just a few verses before in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that it helps us to walk out our obedience of faith. As we have seen others take a step of faith, then it encourages us to do the same. We should also be those people who are encouraging others to step out in their faith. The context of Hebrews 11 is that it's preceded by the last half of Hebrews 10. It's four years of Bible college to come up with that. <laughs> Hebrews, in the last half of Hebrews 10 is actually titled in some versions, A Call to Persevere in Faith. Right? A Call to Persevere in Faith. The context of Hebrews 11 is, going, is not to say, look, here's a bunch of people who really nailed it and got it right. thought I'd let you know. No, the context is say, hey, you, as you are walking out your faith, as you are doing the things that God called you to do, here's a reason for you to persevere, because here's a list of people who did persevere, and the results that they got, and next week we'll find out there are some who didn't receive the promise that God had for them, who didn't get to see The end of the road, who actually stepped out in faith because they were following something bigger than themselves and recognizing that it wasn't them, through it wasn't particularly for them, the word would be fulfilled. When we talked about Abraham and the promise uh, that Abraham had that he would be father of nations, you know, you think the first thing he would do, uh, because at that stage he didn't have any children. Was you take the view that Solomon had, and he says, "Well, if I have three hundred wives and six hundred concubines, I could go a long way to being father of nations. but that, it, the promise wasn 't for him in his lifetime, and not even for his son and not even for his grandson did that promise come to pass. in fact, four hundred and some years later, before that even starts to be seen as a nation that comes out of Egypt. So this Hebrews 11 is about this call to persevere in faith. And of course, Hebrews 10, the last half of Hebrews 10, has a well-known verse. It says, "'Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near.'" We're supposed to encourage one another. That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, a great memory verse. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. Part of our persevering in the faith is to encourage one another. Partnering in faith, having a partnership in faith that allows us to do more than we could on our own. The Bible is filled with examples of partners. You think about where Joshua would be without his Caleb. Yeah, we think about David and Jonathan and the partnership that they had. You think about Nehemiah and Ezra, different gifts, same goal. You think about Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel who? Anyway, I'll let you find out in Malachi. Uh, Paul and Barnabas or Peter and John Mark. These are, these are partnerships that existed for the sake of the ministry, and we think about those partnerships and, and actually enabled those ministries to flourish and for God to be glorified. I want to talk about three things uh, very quickly that partnerships create or partnerships bring. And the first thing is momentum. Partnerships bring momentum. When we are partnering with somebody else, then it can bring momentum. Momentum. Synergy is defined as the cooperation of two or more individuals in such a way that the combined effect is greater than the sum of the parts. Together, we can do more than we can as individuals all added together. A team of horses can pull more weight jointly than if you took them all individually and added it up. That is synergy. There's some things that we can't do on our own. There's some things that we can only do because somebody has encouraged us. You might remember the story from last week in Mark chapter 9 uh, of the, of the, the, the uh, father who had a, a demonized son and the difficulties there. And in Mark 9, 24, he says, I do believe to Jesus. He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And how many times as God brings a word to us, as God brings, puts something in our heart where we say, I do believe, I help my unbelief. I do believe, I do want to believe, I know there's, there's something there, I know this is God, but I'm really, really struggling with how I'm going to do that. Well, that's the time where somebody else can step in to pray with you, to encourage you, to bring comfort, to talk with you. And that encouragement could be the difference between doing nothing and doing something. See, when God brings a word, oftentimes we We can hide it in our hearts and not tell anyone. And yet when we bring it out into the open and we say, God has said this to me, uh, then others can step in and say, hey, that's great, really believing uh, believing with you for it. Let me add my faith to yours. Let me stand with you in prayer and encouragement so that you can see the victory. And it's not about trying to steal someone else's blessing, but rather to see God bless others through them. Uh, rather than on our own so so partnerships can create momentum it can be that push that gets you moving in the first place the bit that gets you off the bar stool and out into the street partnership now partnerships have to be very personal uh, people love to use that scripture you know uh, uh, iron sharpens iron and so therefore I'm going to tell you what to do uh, well, that's not, the, that's not the whole scripture. Iron sharpens iron as one friend sharpens another. Uh, iron sharpens iron as people step close. That's not to bring a word to say, I don't know you from Adam, but therefore I'm going to give you this word because iron sharpens iron. That's, that's not the context. Iron sharpens iron as one friend sharpens another. As there is this close relationship, uh, then synergy can happen because uh, uh, partnerships require time and trust, uh, it's, it's not very encouraging to get a word uh, from God and then somebody who doesn't know you uh, at all saying that's the word from the Lord, just go and do it. Yeah, but that's not helpful. And so we need to be able to develop relationships uh, that we can, hap- that we can uh, share our doubts, share our fears That's a difficult thing to do, particularly when we're talking about the Word of God. You know, someone comes to you as a friend and says, Hey, I really uh, believe I've received this Word from the Lord, but I'm, I'm not sure what I should do. Well, duh, the answer is obvious. You should just obey. But not helpful. Not helpful. But somebody who can step close and talk about those doubts and fears, who can say, hey, it's okay to have those doubts. Just look at the story of Gideon. It's okay if you need some encouragement. Just look at the story of Barak. It's okay if you don't know how this is going to end. Just look at the story of Abraham. That's the sort of counsel that needs to come in that time of fear and doubt, not just the, well, the Bible says. It takes time to build relationship into that point where you can speak directly into insecurities or confront issues or provide accountability. We need to surround ourselves with people who encourage and not condemn, who accept that the word that they've been given, uh, accept the word that you've been given, that also to provide godly counsel and advice in that. Oftentimes, as we read through these Bible stories, it seems so obvious. And yet, put yourself in the story not knowing the end of Abraham when he leaves home. Oh, it's pretty obvious, you know? We only have to flick over a couple of chapters and here here he is in the land that God's promised to him and everything works out. But that's not where Abraham heard the word. That's not where Abel heard the word. That's not where Gideon heard the word. They didn't know the end of the story. And so having somebody who can provide that very personal, trusting uh, relationship enables them to step in and, and bring that godly counsel, but also bring that encouragement. So partnerships can create momentum. Partnerships can be, have to be very personal Time and trust, uh, but partnerships also create safety. When we understand each other, when we can step close to each other, we keep each other from mistakes and missteps. As we've seen in this series, sometimes the word of the Lord seems to make no sense in the natural at all, and it's not about people coming together to make, you know, make sense out of something that they can't just understand in the natural. But remember, God is is good all the time. God is a God of order and not chaos. God seeks to bring the best in the situation. And so when you have a word from the Lord that is actually uh, hard to understand or or hard to to see how this is going to work, uh, you want to have somebody who can say, hang on a minute, step back from that. Is that really what God is saying? Not doubting the word, but is that really what it meant? And sometimes just that counsel where we say, hey, just take a moment to step back from it. You're hearing this. I always say that we all, all of us have an already thinking box. When we hear something, it runs through our already thinking box. Yeah. What do we know about this person? Uh, what have they said in the past? Do I trust them? Uh, uh, what do they have for breakfast? All those sorts of things, we're already in our already thinking box, and we take this word and we pass it through that filter that we all have, and we end up with something that brings meaning to us. Somebody else is able to step in and say, is that really the right thing? It's not the word, it's your meaning that you've given to it. Let's go back to the word and say, did God really say? I've often said that when we receive a word from the Lord, when we ask to step out in faith, we need to ask three key questions. Three key questions when we receive a word from the Lord, and the first question is: the word for me or for someone else? Think about Deborah. Word from the word from the Lord. Go, take ten thousand men, and I will give to you uh, Sisera, the commander of the enemy's army, into your hand. She's going like, oh, excellent. I'm off. Barak stays home. That The word wasn't for Deborah. She was responsible to bring the word to Barak. And sometimes when we receive a word, we need to make sure, we need to clarify, God, is this for me? Is this for someone else? We don't want to be stepping into someone, else, someone else's way of faith because faith is, comes from God to have faith in Him. And if we've stepped in someone else's journey, then we've stepped without faith. So, is the word for me or for someone else? The second question is, is the word for now or later? Sometimes God gives us a promise that we should hold in our hearts until the time is right. In the story of Barak and Deborah, uh, uh, just in a few verses there, uh, in verse 14, Deborah actually says... To Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? This is eight verses after she said, The Lord wants you to go and defeat the Canaanite army. And we go back to that earlier comment, was Deborah an insurance policy because she certainly came and brought the right timing. Now, imagine Barak who said, okay, I have a specific word from the Lord. Go gather 10,000 men and then I will go and attack the Canaanite army. How would that have turned out if he didn't wait for the right day? It's interesting because when you understand the story as you read through Judges chapter 5 you realise that the Canaanite army was, was defeated because it rained. Imagine if you were attacking on dry ground and being mown over by 900 chariots made with iron. That's a bit of an embarrassing story. Uh, but imagine 900 chariots of iron stuck in the mud. Hmm, Different story. Different story. See, Barak had to wait for the rain to come before he attacked the enemy. It wasn't just, here's the word, go do it. But it's, here is the word, prepare, be ready, and I'll tell you when. We need to be careful that we're not jumping ahead of God is the word for now or for later. Sometimes we have to just keep this in our heart and say, is that a promise that I'm supposed to start to, to move out or is that something that's going to wait for a certain set of events? Am I waiting for the, the right time so that I can step into this thing that God has called me to do? Uh, think of David becoming king and that big gap between anointed and when he actually takes the throne. Think of Daniel praying about the end of the Babylonian captivity. He has a word, but that word doesn't come to pass for some time after Daniel prays. Think of, the, of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, uh, Cana, where he says, it's not yet my time. Timing is important, and we need to make sure that we're not stepping ahead of God. So, is the word for me or for someone else? Uh, is the word for now or later? And the third question is this, do I need to pursue the word Or prepare for it? Do I need to pursue the word or prepare for it? If Abraham had asked this question, perhaps there wouldn't have been an Ishmael. Because he thought, I mean, you think about that journey. Okay, God, you've told me I'm going to be a father of nations, that through my son uh, uh, and through my descendants, the world will be blessed, and that's all very good, and nothing happened. Nothing happened nothing happened, and Abraham says, gee, if God's not going to do it, I better step in here. I can make it happen. And Abraham does make it happen. He gets a son. But because Abraham made it happen, it was not what God had intended. And in fact, in fact, when Abraham is told to go and sacrifice Isaac, God actually says, take your son, your only son. As far as God was concerned, Ishmael was out of the picture, was not even part of the lineage. Do I need to pursue the word? Do I need to make it happen? And there are times where we do need to make it happen. Or do I need to prepare for it? God is going to do something, and I need to be ready when he does. Sometimes God gives us a word to show us in advance what he is going to do what he is going to bring about. Not for us to say, I need to chase after that. I need to go and try and do it for myself. So we need to be really careful. And having someone to work through those questions with allows us to avoid starting on a journey that God is not calling us to, but also to walk the path that God is calling us to. That's faith in partnership. So in case you haven't read to the end of the story, I'll give you the highlights. Uh, Barak does what God asked of him. Excellent. On this day, uh, he goes and he uh, attacks the Canaanite army. Of course, the uh, chariots are all bogged down in the mud. Uh, We read that in the song in Judges 5. Uh, Deborah gets to confirm that timing. There's the the defeat of the army, but Sisera uh, takes the day off. Uh, He realized that uh, uh, no one's going to throw a chain around the front of his horse and pull him out of the mud. Uh, Jeff's not there to do that. Uh, So uh, they're all stuck in the mud. Wheels are spinning. Just imagine it, it was the horse's hooves, anyway, whatever, whatever's happening. Anyway, so Cicero so, uh, says this ain't going to work, and so he gets off. Seems a reasonable thing to do. Uh, if I was stuck in the mud, I'd just get out. Anyway, uh, and he goes off, and he's, he's tired, of course, from all the excitement, and he goes and sleeps in a tent, and J.L, who's a domestic executive, just at home for the day, doing her normal thing, uh, invites him into the tent, uh, he asks for water, she gives him milk, obviously warm milk with a bit of brandy in it. Um, He goes to sleep, and while he's sleeping, she takes a tent peg and hammers it through his forehead. Just a normal day at the office, uh, I guess. Um, Anyway, uh, and so that's the end of the story. And in Judges chapter 4, we have uh, in verse 23, it says, so on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, very important, On that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king, and from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Uh, Just remember that the battle, just because God has given the victory, doesn't mean the battle is over. God defeated Jabin on that day, and then after that, the Israelites grew stronger and stronger until finally Jabin was destroyed. Sometimes our faith journey doesn't end when we've taken our step of faith. We need to continue to walk in that. Uh, The way of faith is not a journey that you have to walk alone. Uh, God showed grace to Barak in giving him the moral support that he needed in order to walk alone. The journey that he was being called to. God wants you to be successful, and sometimes that means bringing someone else along for the journey. As we've gone through this, uh, this series, this way of faith, we've encouraged you to, to get alongside somebody else for the journey. Why is that? Because it's easier to do it with somebody else than to do it on your own, Someone cheering you on from the sidelines, someone bringing that accountability, someone asking you how your journey is going. That's really important uh, that we do that. We've had a number of challenges for you to do in terms of stepping out in faith, and I wonder how you've gone with those. Have you got someone alongside that said, yes, we're going to do this, and therefore held you accountable so that you did? Uh, The first challenge was fasting. Fasting. Uh, the second challenge was, bringing in, uh, was, was really praying into the offering that you're bringing to God. Uh, the third challenge, so the challenge that you will probably have been doing a, 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 uh, this week, uh, is speaking about your faith, about your journey of faith. Not just about the victories, but about the doubts and the fears, about the times where you've uh, stepped out in faith and seen the victory, the times where you're still waiting to see the victory. That was the challenge this week. Uh, Sorry, last week, as we come into this. The challenge for this week uh, is to put shoes on your faith. As we are partnering together in this faith journey uh, with other people, we're also partnering together in this faith journey as Zion. As a church, we're on a journey together, and that journey requires faith. And so what we're asking you this week is to, uh, for five days this week, to come down at whatever time seems to be uh, good for you and to walk around the church on the outside uh, and pray. And pray for the journey of faith that we're taking as a body, as a local church. It's about partnering with us all together, being part of the solution. Now, we're not expecting that on Saturday night after seven days, uh, there will be a large shout after you've walked around seven times. And on Sunday morning, this will be just a level car park. We're not expecting that at all. That's not, well, this is not Jericho. Uh, some people might want to give that a try. But anyway, uh, but really what we're just saying is take some time this week to walk around the church. And that could be on your own. It could be with others. It could be with a group. Uh, but walk around and pray for the faith journey of Zion. The way of faith is always a partnership in one sense, because it's a partnership between us and God. As we move into communion this morning, we realize that that partnership can only exist because Christ made himself a sacrifice. That as we step into that place of faith, it's only because we can trust in a God who is near to us. Christ has walked this road. He understands our struggles. He understands our temptations, the Bible tells us. He understands the heartache and the disappointment. He He understands when things have gone right and when things have gone wrong. He understands what betrayal looks like. He understands what, uh, what the, plans, uh, the, the, the plans of God sometimes require sacrifice. And for Jesus, it was the ultimate sacrifice in terms of going to the cross. He understands all that. And he chooses to walk alongside us in our journey. Uh, so if you come to that point where you say, God, I feel so alone In this step of faith, in this faith journey that you've called me to, remember that you're never alone. Christ is always there with you. He's also interceding on our behalf. He's also enabling us to stand in the grace of God. He's also sent the comforter and the guide uh, to help us in our hearts. Christ walks with us on this journey of faith. And this morning, as we take communion, I want you to think about the things that He's asked you to do? What is the word that God has put in your heart? What's something specific that God wants you to step into? And then as you come up and, and take, the, uh, take the emblems back to your seat and take them in your own time, then just realize that Christ died so that you can walk in confidence in the things that He's calling you to walk in. Uh, because we walk in the love and warmth of the grace of God who wants to see us succeed. Uh, We also remember that every step of faith brings us closer to the one who gave it all for us. Our faith journey uh, does not have a destination in terms of the victory, but it has a destination in terms of the person. Even as Barak uh, won the victory against the Canaanites, It was a step in a relationship closer to God that Barak was the ultimate victory uh, for not just Deborah and Barak and the army, but for the nation of Israel as a whole. God is pleased with with us when we act in faith, believing He exists and standing firm in the knowledge that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. So I'll pray, uh, and then you can come up and uh, take the elements Lord, we thank you that you are with us, that you partner with us. We thank you, Lord, that you died for us, that you gave your body as a sacrifice so that we could step into healing and wholeness, uh, not just in the physical but in the spiritual and the emotional as well. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you died in, in a way to pour out your blood for us as a symbol of the covenant, to say that the life that you gave is available to us, uh, even as we remember that sacrifice, we bring life into our lives. Oh Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's something specific that you want to remind each person here, that you would bring that to mind, that your spirit will enable them to see that revelation. Lord, that they would have the confidence that you are for them as well as with them. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made and we thank you uh, for uh, the, the grace and the love that you allow us to walk in. We can only do these things, say these things, believe these things because you made a way. So we glorify you and magnify you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube or our app, We Are Zion People.